The letter of James, or in the Greek, Jacobus, in the Hebrew, Yaakov, chapter 5. In a passage that I thought so common and so familiar, I thought I'd breeze by it on a Wednesday, and the Lord had other things in mind. So we're going to sit in James chapter 5 a little bit longer. Uh, verse 13. Yaakov chapter 5 verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? He must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray one more time. Father... Lord, through your servant, Yaakov, you tell us if anyone is suffering, he must pray. And if anyone is cheerful, he is to sing praises. And so we come praising you and praying to you. And we come asking for insight and understanding into this passage, into this section of the letter. Father, I have learned that when I want to breeze by something is the time where you want me to sit and pay attention. So I ask that you would give us attentiveness in our hearts and in our minds. And help us to take these things in and to take the time, Lord, to, to comprehend, to be convicted by, and to move in the teaching that you have for us today. We pray, Holy Spirit, come and teach us. Jesus, you are our rabbi. And so we come to hear from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, is anyone still having trouble calling the familiar James by his rightful name, Yaakov? Do you, when you go home, go, I don't really care what Rick wants to do off in his wackadoodle teaching. I'm calling this the letter of James. (laughs) Some may be thinking it'll be nice to get back to good old James when Rick is done being all literal. See how entrenching tradition can be? What a perfect example of how we get used to something and we do not want to let it go. I have to tell you, as I've been going through studying, every time I jot down a verse from the letter of Yaakov, I want to say James. I want to refer to James. But that's not his name. It never was his name. I think for hundreds of years about our brother Yaakov in heaven, and every time his letter is referred to, he's like, that's not my name. Who do they think I am? Lord? And he's like, it's cool, it's cool. Chill, relax. They're still getting my word. The letter of Yaakov. Well, we've come to the end of this inspired letter. And for the first time, the first time in these five chapters, Yaakov talks about prayer. 
hasn't done it yet. You could say this is the first time prayer is referred to in the New Testament Scriptures, Yaakov likely being the earliest letter written. And he waits till the very end. Of course, when he gets here to the end, he refers to prayer seven times in six verses. Laying out the importance and the value of it. This passage is also the most, or, or among the most quoted and familiar of New Testament passages among Christians. So, so be careful, because as with the name James, we can assume we know all there is about familiar verses while inadvertently closing the door on Revelation. We can think we know and therefore move on and miss what the Lord would teach us. And I hope we do not do that. I was talking to Les about this just uh, the other night. I was sharing with him that, you know, he said, All right, so what are you going to do in chapter 5? Are you going to finish up? What, what are you doing there? And I said, no, I, I have to sit and we're going to talk about prayer. And Les went, yes! <laughs> and I told him why I was struggling with it and why I hadn't planned to do it. I said, you know, it's so familiar. And Les quoted Aesop. Familiarity breeds contempt. And it certainly does. Cheryl and I, when we were younger, went to a large Christian university in a small West Texas town. I vividly remember Sundays in Abilene. And after church, after the services, you made a beeline to the local Luby's cafeteria. Quick as possible. Had to get in line before the Methodists let out. The Baptists didn't have a chance, you know. And my first Sunday at Luby's, I remember this vividly as if it was yesterday. I remember getting my massive Texas-sized plate of food and sitting down at the table and I'm looking at my food and I'm just getting settled in when someone said in my peripheral hearing, who's going to pray? And before I could even look up, every hand was on the forehead. Every thumb was implanted on the forehead around the table. I'm looking at these idiots in a restaurant in suits which is what you wore in 150 degree weather in West Texas on Sunday with their thumbs firmly embedded in their foreheads I didn't know the protocol I was from California man my roommate leaned over to me and he said last person with a thumb on his forehead has to pray I looked around that table filled with unholy vermin and I said well I like to pray has to pray the one who doesn't get his thumb to his forehead fast enough I wonder how many people lost eyes in that game over the years he has to pray I never liked that game sadly I learned to play it over the next four years but I never liked it. Now, not to judge, I grew up in a Christian home, and at dinner my dad would ask every time we sat down at the table, who's going to pray? And my brothers and my thumb, our thumbs did not go to our foreheads. No, our fingers pointed immediately across the table. Ron will pray. Rick will pray. How do thumbs and fingers, rather than hands lifted up, make God feel? How do you, while we're playing our silly little games about who has to pray, how does the Father experience that? 
In Gethsemane, Jesus said, Matthew 26, verse 40, So you could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Indeed, the flesh is weak. That's one of the reasons why we pray. It's not the main reason. It's not the better reason, but it is certainly a reason that we would not fall into temptation because our flesh is weak. But I want to think about this this morning. What exactly is prayer by definition? And if you note the word, it's there in verse 13. If is anyone among you suffering, he must pray. The word prayer is prosukiomai. Prosukiomai. Pros in the Greek, which is a directional preposition. It means unto, or toward, or forward to. And suke, which, get this, is to speak aloud. That's prayer. The word means to speak aloud unto God. Well, I don't speak aloud in my prayers. That's personal. Well, the word prayer means to speak aloud unto God. What are we ashamed of? What are we embarrassed about? Why is it that even in a group of Christians sometimes we bow our heads and we begin to pray, but we don't want to be the one who has to pray aloud? Thumbs on foreheads. What are, why? Would you have trouble in a, a group of people talking to anyone gathered there? To speak aloud unto God. So much for moments of silence. Have you noticed that? That's, that's what we see in our country to get away from offending anybody by actually praying. We say, we're going to have a moment of silence. What does that do? All you do is stand around in those moments of silence listening to people's stomach rumble. <laughs> trying not to cough, you know. And sadly for so many people, prayer is religious recitation or it's ritual or as Jesus warned against, it's vain repetition. For some people, prayer is just random. It's an impersonal casting of the thoughts out to the universe to receive positive vibes or instant karma. That is not prayer. Prayer is to speak aloud unto God. And again, what do all these attitudes of prayer, religious or not, what do they say to the God who invites us to call Him Father? Father. Well, my prayer is personal. Is it? How would I feel if my kids refused to speak to me out loud and directly, but only through other people? Or if they came into my presence, bowed their heads, and were silent for half an hour? (laughs) And where prayer is concerned, are, are we all thumbs? Have we let the purpose of prayer slip through our fingers? Psalm 5 verse 3 says, In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you, and I will eagerly watch. And according to the Bible, our Abba Father is always listening, which makes it even better. Because unlike my kids who will sometimes come to me and say, Dad, da-da-da-da-da, and I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Our Father is always paying attention. Psalm 65, verse 2, O you who hear prayer, to you all men come. 
Psalm 145.18, the Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. He hears, He pays attention, He's aware. Yeah, about that. He hears. He's aware. Uh, You Christians, you say that God is omnipresent, which means He's in all places at once. And He's near to you. And if He's near and He's always listening, and if He knows everything already, you know the rest of the question. Why do we pray? He already knows. What are you wasting your time for? What are we praying for? If He already knows everything. Let me ask you this. Are all of our conversations only informational? Or is it perhaps that most of our conversations are relational? Uh, My wife and I will get in the car and go for a drive and we'll talk about nothing. We will make no major decisions. We'll share things that the other one already knows. We've been together now for 36 years of our lives. We're fully aware of what the other is thinking. We can finish each other's sentences. What are we even talking for anymore? You know? You who have been married for a while, stop talking. You know each other. (laughs) Right? I mean, unless it's informational, when do we have to pick up the kids from ballet? Okay, tell me that. I'll put it in my calendar and we're good to go. We don't need to talk after that. Amen. (laughs) Prayer is relational. As with most of our conversation, we don't talk to spread information. Oh, we do. We share information. We gain information and understanding. But that's not the primary reason we have conversation in our relationships. We do it just because we want to share ourselves with each other. That's prayer. That is prayer. Yes, God is all-knowing. And our all-knowing God wants us to know Him even as He knows us. 1 John 5.20 says, We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So prayer, prosuchiomai, speaking aloud unto Him, is the single most personal expression of someone who's in a real relationship with Jesus. It's the proof of it. As James would say, faith without works is dead. He could also say, hey, prayer without relationship is dead. You pray to know Him. And C.S. Lewis said, I, I, pray be, I don't pray to change God, I pray to change me. Well, there's some of that dynamic that goes on, but that's not the primary reason to pray. I pray to get. No, that's not the primary reason to pray. I pray to understand. Well, that's not the primary reason to pray. I pray to know Jesus. I converse with Him to be in relationship with Him. That's why we pray. That's what He invites us to in prayer. Remember Yaakov's nickname? Old Camel Knees? Old Camel Knees. He spent so much time on his knees. He was known for that. He didn't intend to be known for that. He just was. And people began to notice his knees were thick and padded and wrinkled and calloused like the hide of a camel. Why? Because he was intent on getting, getting the latest information from God that every morning he was up for the, for the headlines? No. No, it's because he didn't want to be anywhere else. He wanted to be with Jesus. 
And so we can know that Yaakov teaches from real relationship. What we read here, verses 13 through 18 specifically, come out of personal experience from a man who loved Jesus. Who worshipped and honored Jesus and wanted to know Jesus. And so he prayed. And he, by the way, sets the tone at the end of this letter for the conclusion of nearly every New Testament letter that we have. Not every single one, but most of them end with a command to pray. With the imperative to pray, just as Yaakov would do or does in this letter. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul said, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints. So yeah, perseverance is part of it. Petition is part of it. But pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? That He falls into a trance? No. Praying in the Spirit means in relationship. Pray in the Spirit at all times. Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, Paul writes, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Pray without ceasing. Jude, 20 verse, uh, Jude verses 20 and 21, But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. See, prayer does that. Keeps me in the love of God. Keeps me in relationship with Jesus. And then Jude adds, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Prayer is relationship. By the way, I I like that Jude says that, that as we're praying, as we're in relationship with the Lord, as we're in the Holy Spirit, and we're in the love of God, he says, and while you're praying, wait anxiously. For the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, for His coming. See, if you're praying in relationship, you can't wait to see Him. Ever been separated from a loved one for an amount of time? And every time you talk to them, you could not wait to see them? That's prayer. That's prayer. And in our prayers, we are longing, we are looking forward to the return, to the coming of Jesus, to being with Him and seeing Him. And by the way, that is the contextual basis for the entire conclusion of this letter. What is the coming of the Lord? And we talked about this last Sunday, and we looked at it again Wednesday, and I want to show you again this morning. Verse 3 of chapter 5, at the end of the verse, it is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Verse 7, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, Be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Verse 9, at the end of the verse, Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. This is the framework for the close of the letter. As we looked at Wednesday night, you can take everything in chapters 4 and 5 and say, this is how to live in the last days. This is how to live with an eye to the sky, with a belief in the coming of Jesus and Him calling us home to be with Him. This is last day's teaching. And so really what we're talking about this morning is prayer and praise in the last days. And how we are to live. With the soon return of Jesus in mind, He says in verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? He must pray. If we were being literal, it would read, Is anyone among you suffering? Prosukomai. Just pray. 
says he must pray because it is imperative. It is in the imperative form. And he goes on and says, is anyone cheerful? Praise. Again, imperative. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise really go hand in hand. They're two sides of the same coin. They're two actions of the same lips. Prayer and praise are also the two witnesses of a right relationship, a real relationship with Jesus Christ. In a relationship with Jesus, prayer is not a hard thing. It's not an issue. It's not a religious exercise. In a relationship with Jesus, praise is not something that is easily held back. Prayer and praise. Suffering, pray. Cheerful, praise. Both are the expression of a faith lived out loud unto God. Now, I want to consider five things in these verses this morning. Five kinds of people, actually, who speak aloud to God in these last days. And the first is the singer. The singer. The singer. Praise. The singer of praise. Praise is itself a dynamic of prayer. You know, praise is not just what happens when the downbeat plays and the music starts. Praise is the stuff of our prayer. In fact, in Jesus' teaching, His apostles, His disciples at the time said, Lord, teach us to pray, just like John taught His disciples. And in teaching them, He said, pray then in this way. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Holy is Your name. And then He concludes that explanation of prayer, that example in Matthew 6.13 saying, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So Jesus begins and ends his prayer with praise. Because prayer envelops praise. Praise is encompassed in our prayers. And Yaakov literally says here, is anyone cheerful? Solo. Solo. It's where we get the word psalms. It's perfect because that's exactly what the psalms are. He says, if you're cheerful, psalm it up. If you're cheerful, man, sing your praise to the Lord, sisters. Psalm it up, bros. Solo when you're cheerful. As in Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe and screaming electric guitar. Okay, I added that. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Solo, man. And you know, some of our prayers could use a little more praise. Could use a little more cheering up. I told you I grew up in a Christian home and going to church every Sunday in Southern California and sitting there, at one point in my upbringing, they instituted the elders' prayer. Well, because if anyone is sick among you, let them call upon the elders. And I'm like, was the whole church sick? (laughs) Anyway, so every Sunday they would do the elders' prayer. And an elder would come up at a certain point in the worship service. And songs would be done and communion would be taken. And then the elder would stand and begin to pray. And it was the most depressing 15 minutes. (laughs) 
We knew it was coming. Here he comes. Tune out. (laughs) Because it was all about illness and death and sorrow. It was so depressing. I mean, it truly was. You know, I, I, I should be careful here because they were prayers. And they were offered to the Lord. And yet it was just such a depressing time. I don't remember any time any elder at that time standing up and going, Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus, you are awesome. God, you are good. Spirit, you are among us. And we are so happy to be here. No, it was gloom, despair, and agony on me. Whoa! Brother so-and-so lost a toe last week. Let's pray for him. I'm like, the toe's gone. Let it go, man. You know, there's a psalm for every situation of life. That's the marvelous thing about the 150 psalms. You can go through and you just pick one out. You can be joyful or sorrowful or peaceful or angry or bold or fearful or exhilarated or depressed. And there's always a psalm there for you. So solo, praise. Man, you name it, they solved it. 150 solos for each and every occasion of life. But whatever the occasion, note this, whatever the situation, all of the Godward psalms are sung aloud to bless the Lord. They're for His sake. And there is an aspect of our prayer we forget is simply for His sake, not for ours. Because He is the Father who is pleased to hear from His kids from time to time. To have His people in relationship with Him and to be honored by them. I was thinking about this this morning that it's so interesting. I don't honor God because I'm some kind of sycophant. I don't praise the Lord because I'm trying to drum up some sense of, well, He thinks I'm cool because I think He's cool. I praise God because He deserves it. Because nobody deserves to be worshipped like He does. Because of who He is and what He's done. I mean, how could you not praise God? And I was telling Him this morning, I said, Lord, I praise You, but I'm not praising You to gain favor because You've already given that to me. By the way, thank You for grace. I'm not praising You because it makes me look better. Although the Bible does say that praise is becoming in the saints. I worship Him because He is just to be worshipped. You cannot be in the presence or be aware of the person of God and not praise. Is anyone among you cheerful? Solo. Praise. And know that when you do, your praises bless the Lord. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion? Who satisfies your years with good things? So that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Bless the Lord. Because that's what praise is. And praise as a function of our prayer is about blessing the Lord. Are you a singer of solos? Are you a praiser of the Lord Jesus. Now you might say, well, when it comes to singing, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I didn't ask if you could sing. I said, are you a singer of solos? 
I still, to this day, and I, I know I've shared this with you before, I've talked about this young man, a guy who showed up in our youth group when I was a kid, and, and man, he had the worst voice in the universe. I think he had a special dispensation of horrible singing. It was just the I, it was awful. And he would open his mouth, it was just a... And, and we'd all go... And I found myself sinfully, I might add, hoping and praying on Sunday night saying that He wouldn't come. Nobody prays the Lord like this guy. And I would imagine for the rest of his life, every church he ever attended knew when he was praising the Lord. (laughs) Praise God. Man, that's why the Psalms say, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Because what's coming out your mouth the sounds, the tone, all that, that is not what matters. It's what is coming from your heart. Be a singer of solos. There are too many people who come to churches and they are silent in worship because they're fearful of how they sound. Knock it off. Make a joyful noise. And if someone looks at you like, dude, you need singing lessons, just make it louder. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We are all, every one of us, youngest to oldest, newest in relationship with God to longest in relationship with God. We are all called to praise, to bless His name for His sake. And then, of course, it gets all over us and it builds our cheerfulness and our encouragement and our joy as well. But it is for His sake. And so the singer, the singer, that's all of us. Secondly, Yaakov refers to now the sufferer. Again in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering, he must pray. Or is anyone among you suffering, prosukiomai, pray. And again, this is imperative. It's in the imperative form of the verb, the command form. Meaning what? Meaning that God expects our prayers to rise up from our troubles. He's already told us to pray in those situations. You don't have to say, Lord, I'm having a hard time and I'm sorry to bother you, but I I need to bring this before you because I don't know where else to turn. No, the Lord is like, I expect you to pray to me when you're in trouble. Remember I told you to? If you're suffering, if you're in the midst of hardship, if you're having a hard time, pray! That's the command! Of course I want you to pray when you're in trouble. And by the way, we've just come full circle in the letter. Because the letter began in verse 2 of chapter 1, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Count it all joy when you encounter or when you greet various trials. Well, how do we joyfully greet trials and suffering in the last days? Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. If you are even the slightest bit cheerful, praise the Lord. And if you are having the slightest hardship, pray. Either way, note that both are directed to God. Both are being spoken aloud unto Him. Both are in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Good or bad, I'm turning it all back to the Lord. And as we do, we're inspired and we're influenced in in marvelous ways. It does things to us, prayer and, and praise. Yes, they change me. Settles my heart. Comforts my spirit. 
Prayer and praise focus my attention like nothing else on Jesus. Better said, prayer and praise increase faith. Have you ever said, I just wish I had better faith? I wish I had more faith. I wish I had faith like that guy or or like that girl. I wish that I had that kind of faith. If you want to increase faith, it's very simple. Just do what you're supposed to do. What do you mean? Well, as Yaakov said, faith without works is dead. Right? So do what you're supposed to do. You want to increase faith? Do faith. Act on it. Work it out. Live it. Do it. And it increases. Well, okay. So you're saying practice. Well, yeah, to a degree. But prayer and praise will increase faith. The apostles, they came to Jesus. This is Luke chapter 17. In fact, why don't you turn over there? Luke chapter 17. You've been sitting there looking at me. Open your Bibles and turn to Luke 17. And check this out. We can learn so much about discipleship from listening to the questions of the disciples and hearing Jesus' response. They said, teach us to pray. He taught them to pray. And we can learn from that. But they also said in Luke chapter 17, verse 5, increase our faith. No doubt, in that moment, the apostles were asking for some holy dispensation. You know, a divine outpouring of some sort that would make them instantly more filled with faith. Increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you'd be able to say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And so they're all going, okay, we need a mustard seed of faith. Wait, no, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. What's he saying here? It doesn't take much. You know? It doesn't take much. Well, I'm trying to muster faith. No, he said a mustard seed. It's just, just trust him. He said, which of you, verse 7, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down and eat? Will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat? And properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you may eat and drink. This is a weird example, especially coming from Jesus. He says in verse 9, he does not thank the slave because he did all the things which were commanded, does he? I guess not. What are you getting at, Lord? Verse 10, note this. So you too. When you do all the things which were commanded or which are commanded you, say, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Increase our faith. Just do what you ought to have done. Just just do what you know you're supposed to. Increase my faith, Lord. Okay, do what you're supposed to do. For the servant of Christ, prayer and praise are simply that which we ought to have done. It's just doing what we're supposed to do. Not under compulsion, mind you, but prayer and praise in the flow of faith, of trust in Jesus, will increase your faith. Which is what makes this so vital. Be the singer of the solo. And if and when you are the sufferer, pray, because we communicate the most with the ones we love the most, right? 
I don't like going a day without talking to my wife. And again, it doesn't matter what the content is. It doesn't matter if Cheryl and I are having some deep theological... In fact, I'm the, I'm the worst on this. I come home, it's you know 10.30 at night where the lights just go off, click, and I want to talk theology. <laughs> and Cheryl's like, Rick, tell the Lord. Just... <laughs> No, I just want to talk to her. You know, it's it's the thing that I ought to do in a in a loving marriage relationship. Hey, pray and praise. It's just what we ought to do if we love Jesus, because it's natural, and of course it's supernatural. Verse fourteen: Is anyone among you sick? He must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So, third group of people: we've looked at the singer, we have looked at the sufferer, and now the sick. The sick. You know what I note first off in verse 14 is suddenly you're not the one praying, you're the one asking. If you're sick, ask. It doesn't say if you're sick, pray. Now, you can, of course. If you're suffering, if you're sick, if you have an illness, yes, you need to pray. But the first thing he says is, ask. If you're sick, you call on others, or the elders in this case, to intercede on your behalf. Is that hard for you to do? It is for me. When I had my surgery this last fall, that, that was tough. I didn't, I didn't want to tell anyone. But, see, in my case, when I'm going to be out of the pulpit for three straight weeks, eventually people are going to ask. <laughs> you know, what's going on? I had to share ahead of time with my fellow shepherds. This is what's going on. And this is where I'm, you know, I, I just I don't want to do that. You know why? I thought about this. I think it's because I don't like to invite people into my private weakness. I'd rather you just see me when I'm fine. It's all good. Don't worry about. I'll pray for you. Let me pray for you. Don't pray for me. Because if I'm asking you to pray for me, it means I'm weak, and I don't want you to see that. And you know what, brothers and sisters, I say to you, we got to get over that. We have got to get over the fear of being seen as weak in front of our brothers and sisters. Guess what? We're all weak. We all know this about you. Someone walking down the aisle, yeah, I'm strong. No, you're not. We know. We saw you trip. (laughs) We got to get over this, this fear of being seen weak. In 2 Kings 5, great example, we meet Naaman, who is a valiant Syrian, a captain, and a leper. So weird how that works out. I mean, this guy was a fighting man, and I'm not going to make any leprosy jokes. I have so many running through my head right now. <laughs> Got to let it go, Rick. <laughs> Second Kings chapter 5, verse 9, we, we see Naaman. He hears that there's a prophet in Israel who apparently can heal leprosy. And so letters are sent between kings and and Naaman the Syrian comes into Samaria and he runs into or he comes looking for Elisha. And in verse 9 of 2 Kings chapter 5, the story goes that Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and he stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Why with his horsemen and chariots? Because strength. Yeah, he's a leper, but he's he's a strong leper. (laughs) That's so like so many of us. 
I'm strong. You're a leper. <laughs> so he's there at the house of Elisha, and Elisha doesn't even come outside. I don't know if he's busy playing Plants vs. Zombies or something. I'm not sure. But Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. And we think, oh yeah, the Jordan. The mighty Jordan. How many of you all have been to Israel? Have you seen the mighty Jordan? <laughs> My friends, the first time I saw the Jordan and realized it wasn't much wider than this aisle, I was shocked. Granted, at flood stage, it can get as wide as two miles in a couple of places, but most of the little winding Jordan River is narrow and muddy and unimpressive. And that's exactly how Naaman felt. He said in verse 11, it says he was furious and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. He was looking for a moment. Powerful, moving, engaging moment. And he says, Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all these waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? At least let me do it my way. (laughs) So he turned and he went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, "Uh, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more? When he says to you, wash and be clean. If it was something impressive, oh yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'll show up for that. But to do something that reveals my weakness or something pathetic? So he went down, he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. I could just hear him dipping. Two, three, four. He did this according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. The little kid, I love it. The great mighty warrior looks like a child because he was willing finally to be seen as weak. We don't want to be seen in our weaknesses. And again, if it involves some big deal, some brave, strong, heroic act, maybe I would be feeling better about calling in the elders for help. I need you to come over and pray for me. So you can experience the glory of God in me. No, no, no. Opening myself up to others in prayer is like washing in the muddy Jordan. And by the way, it's doing what you're supposed to do. Call on the elders to come pray if you're sick. Pre-surgery for me. I was on the, the table about to be rolled into surgery. I'm lying there, you know, in that little paper sheet. Actually, I had like three or four blankets on me. They kept saying, do you want a warm blanket? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Want another warm blanket? Absolutely. I'm like, how many warm blankets do you have in that closet over there? We have about 15. Bring them. Bring the blankets. But I'll never forget lying there and... Uh, you know, got the worries and all that stuff going on in the heart. And my wife is there, Cheryl's standing there. And, and Dr. Leah Oman comes in. And Andrea Kunze, who's a nurse there at Island Hospital, comes in. And Chris Taylor came in. And these women, these were not even the elders. God wouldn't let me have the elders in the operating room. I wanted them there. Men, being men. No, these women stood around me and prayed. And it was deeply humbling. 
And it was deeply comforting. I had peace. So you might say, okay, okay, so I'm sick, and I call in the elders, what happens? Well, the most obvious thing we see that you might note is the use of anointing oil. We didn't do that in my church growing up, that's weird. First of all, you gotta wipe that stuff off, you know? The anointing oil. What's the deal with the anointing oil? Well, in the Older Testament, that's easy. The prophets and the priests and kings, they were anointed. And it was that symbol of godly authority, that anointing, the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And of course, we've talked about many times over the years that oil in the Bible is representative of the Holy Spirit. More on that in a moment. But this is what we see in the Hebrew Scriptures. And yet, in the New Testament, anointing oil takes on some different applications. It's interesting. It's used in various ways. We see it in in, in various uses. But specifically, get this, specifically related to healing prayer, there are just two. Two reasons for anointing oil. And the first one is, oil is medicinal. Note that, it's medicinal. Olive oil in the ancient world was used as a remedy. It was seen and understood as a remedy for illness, or for wounds, or for, or for cuts or abrasions. For broken things, it was. That's why they used it. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, where where Jesus said, Luke ten thirty, that a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him, and they went away leaving him half dead. And the parable continues that a priest wanders by and sees the man and cuts a wide swath around him, and then a Levite comes by. He sees the man, and he's not going to go near him either. And then along ambles. A Samaritan, good Sam. He comes walking up, and when he saw him, Luke 10.33, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Why? Because that's what you did. Because both oil and wine were seen to be medicinal. Even today, pure virgin olive oil has medicinal properties that, that, that people still swear by that people will use for cuts or abrasions or other issues in life. Yeah, you just you use some oil. Is it possible that Yaakov was just making a case here for prayer accompanying medical care? Have the elders go pour oil, pour oil on the wound or on the sickness and, and pray over him. Now, now before, just stay with me on this. Some think so. There are some commentators who would deny more of the Holy Spirit action and would say, no, this is, this is what they're doing. They're, they're doing offering medical help and praying at the same time because olive oil was medicinal. There is absolutely an important use of medicine and doctors and skilled surgery and those things created by God to be used by us. Well, I'm not going to go see no doctor. I'm just going to pray. Well... God offers us so many different ways sometimes of healing, but I don't want any of those. I want the miraculous. Okay, Naaman. And so we understand in this, it's more than just medicinal. Anointing with oil is representational of the actual active healing power and virtue of the Spirit of God. Mark 6.13, they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. So we do this, we anoint, not to say 
we got this, you know, this great oil that's actually more powerful than any on earth. No, we anoint to say the Spirit of God is at work here. The oil of the virtue of God Himself is moving in you and working on you. But understand this and get this, it's huge. God does the healing. That's why the oil. God does the healing. He does it naturally through medicines and oils and a certain skill. Or supernaturally, God is the healer, period. He even has a name for that in the, in the Scriptures. Yahweh Rapha. God who heals. It's who He is. Deuteronomy 32-39 See now that I, I am He, and there is no God besides Me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded. It is I who heal. Yahweh Rapha. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. And so get this. Anointing with oil takes the emphasis off the ones doing the praying and puts it where it belongs on the Holy Spirit of the living God. Because He's the one who's healing. He's the one who is active. And yet, what have we done? We try to take it back. The power, the authority. We try and take it back. We say this oil has been specially blessed by the Tibetan monks of the monastery of Mount Ratatouille. <laughs> yeah, it was a special oil. This came right out of the olive tree that I ripped the branch off of in Gethsemane when no one was looking. It's just oil, man. It's just representational of an actual reality that is the supernatural work of the Spirit. Don't get hung on the oil. Man. Or, or we do this. We say, this person. Hmm. This person is specially anointed and therefore more righteous and therefore more effective in their prayers. So i got to get this guy there. Really? Not according... To Scripture, I mean, yeah, it says the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much down in verse 16. But my friends, we'll get there, but listen. As the elders pray, their responsibility is to have faith in and direct all attention to Jesus Christ. Because He's the healer. Yahweh Rapha. Isaiah 53, verse 5 he was pierced through from our, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging we are healed. Not by Les's scourging. Not by Glenn's scourging. Now some of you may want to scourge Glenn. That's your own issue. <laughs> Not by Rick's suffering, or hardship, or proof of righteousness. No. By His And you know what? When it's all said and done, Jesus promised Isaiah 61 verse 2 to comfort all who mourn and to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes and the oil of gladness instead of mourning. The mantle of praise instead of a a spirit of fainting so that they will be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord, listen, don't miss this, that He may be glorified. We anoint with oil because it points to the work of the Holy Spirit of God. He gets the glory. He's the healer, not any of us. And so the elders are invited to come and and to pray and anoint with oil. As an aspect of that prayer, to remind the sick person as well as the elders who's doing the healing work. Now, prayer is the first of two primary roles or responsibilities, charges, if you will, 
of pastors, shepherds, elders, and the church. Just two. Acts chapter 6, verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Why do we have shepherds at the bridge? Prayer and the ministry of the Word. Why are there elders in the office of the church? Prayer and the ministry of the Word. That is it. That's the focus. And by the way, you're invited. Every first Thursday of the month, we're here. If you need prayer, you don't even have to have an appointment. Show up. Are you sick? Show up. Just come. We will anoint you with oil. We'll set everything on the agenda aside because the agenda is prayer and the ministry of the Word. Those are our primary responsibilities. And we try to focus on that and let that be what we're about. But listen, note this, along with the anointing oil, the prayer for the sick is not done by one elder. He is to call the Elders, a plurality of elders for a plurality of prayer. Why? Because no single elder or pastor or priest gets the credit. You know what it's kind of like? It's like the old uh, firing squads. You used to have like 12 guys line up and they'd all have their muskets. And you'd have the person who's going to be executed there and, and they you know, fire! And they'd all fire and the guy would go down but only one musket had live ammo all the rest were blanks so that no one on the firing squad would know that they were the one who did it why a plurality of elders so that not one single elder will know or think that he's the one whose prayer did it because the focus again is Yahweh Rapha the God who heals and another reason for a plurality of elders is Jesus said where two or three have gathered together in my name I'm there in their midst So we try not to just send off one guy because he's not the emphasis. Boy, you send one person. We send Steve Berenson out to pray for someone and they get healed. He will be insufferable. (laughs) The focus is never to be on an individual. Again, being a pastor or an elder or a bishop or a priest. The focus is on Yahweh Rapha, the God who heals. So call on the elders to pray over the sick, anointing them with oil, and note that he says, in the name of the Lord, that is Jesus. Love that song we sang this morning. Speak the name of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. And by the way, it's not in Jesus' name, signing off. We have taken this this invitation to pray in the name of Jesus and we've turned it into the conclusion, sincerely Rick, that's that's what the conclusion of our prayers can sound like. I've said everything I want to say, okay, in Jesus' name, amen. I hope that we would at least pause and think when I'm concluding my prayers what I'm saying when I say in Jesus' name. Six times, interesting that he uses that it's six times, but six times on the night of his betrayal, Jesus said, ask in my name. Ask in my name. Ask in my name. Why six times? Well, six being the number of a man, it's our only hope. Ask in my name. John 14, verse 13. Ask in my name. John 14, verse 14. Ask in my name, John 15, verse 16. Ask in my name, John 16, verse 23. Ask in my name, John 16, verse 24. And finally... In John 16, verse 26, he says, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. 
Wait a minute. All this asking in your name and you're not going to ask of the Father in our behalf? What what are you saying, Jesus? He says, For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. Listen, this is beautiful. Jesus just said it. To ask in the name of the Lord Jesus is to appeal to God on the basis of real relationship. To ask in Jesus' name is because I know Him. And I'm saying I, I love Him. And I know He loves me. We pray in the name of Jesus because we love and are loved by Jesus. Not as a nice little conclusion to a prayer. Again, prayer is relational. And Augustine said true whole prayer is nothing but love. That's what prayer is. Well, verse 15. How are we doing on time? Ooh, verse 15. <laughs> and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Mm, that's great. Praise God. Wonderful. What if it doesn't work? Listen again. The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And what if he doesn't? Well, clearly the prayer wasn't offered in faith. The elders didn't have enough faith. The person praying lacked faith. That way, if you had more faith, you would have been clearly faith. And and, and so we're right back to mustering faith instead of mustard seed faith. Got to have enough faith. But what if he doesn't heal you? What if he doesn't raise you up? What if he doesn't do that? Well, first of all, Yaakov doesn't even consider the possibility. He, He doesn't say... And the prayer offered in faith may restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Hopefully, you know, if you pray right. No, he just says will. Yaakov, old camel knee, says this is what's going to happen. When you pray in faith, the Lord is going to heal. That's what he does. Yahweh Rapha, he is going to raise up. That's the deal. Yaakov doesn't think for a moment that prayers offered in faith might not result in healing He guarantees it. What do we do with that? (laughs) This single verse has needlessly confused and bemused and even brought sorrow to so many Christians. So let's be clear. He says two things here. The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. The word restore... In the Greek is sozo, which is save. The prayer offered in faith will save the one who is sick. Any questions? Praise the Lord. He'll save me. And then secondly, the word raise up. It's a gyro, which means, well, two things. It's used two different ways. It is used, Mark chapter 8, verse 15. Peter's mother-in-law was sick. She's in bed. Jesus comes in. He prays for her. He touches her hand. The fever left her. And she got up. A gyro. And waited on him. She got out of bed. So he will raise you up. Means he's going to get you out of bed. That's one of the possibilities. Or Mark chapter 5 verse 41. Taking the child by the hand. He said to her. Talitha kum. Which translated means. Little girl I say to you. A gyro. Get up. And she got up. So he raised her up from the dead. Right? Peter's mother-in-law got out of bed. The little girl was raised from the dead. 
Jesus said in John chapter 2, verse 19, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will a gyro. I'll raise it up. Speaking of His resurrection from the dead. And He said in John 5.21, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. Hey, what's on Yaakov's mind here? Is it restoration or is it salvation? Is it healing that gets me out of bed or healing that raises the dead? (laughs) There's a uh, compelling hint on the last part of verse 15 where he says, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. But listen, get this. The key word here in verse 15 is faith. It is faith. Faith. The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up a gyro that's either out of bed or from the dead. He's going to do it in the prayer offered in faith. But understand, mustard seed versus mustering faith. And here's where we get confused. My faith is not the strength of my belief. No, my faith is in the strength of my God. Faith is that I trust Him to do it. Part of the question that we like to ask when someone's asking for healing from from being sick is, what has God given you faith for? I shared this years ago, but even further years ago, there was a man in our fellowship, and he was dying of cancer, and we stood there in in the barn talking to him, and Barb Gilmore made the comment, What do you have faith for? And he said, I just want to go home and be with Jesus. And he passed on. And you know what? God saved him and raised him up. That's what he had faith for. I think of... Well, I hate to talk about Don because I don't want to make Emily cry. Or Glenn. But I think of Don. Who, the first time he had cancer, he had faith he was going to be healed. We all knew he would. The second time, it it seemed different. And I think he saw it differently. And so in, in healing, what has God given you faith for? Well, I've got to engender and, and build up and have this big faith. And if I don't have enough faith, then I, I, I'm not like those faith healers who have more faith than I do. Come on. I get so tired of hearing that. Generate your faith. No, just trust Jesus. The power is in Him, not in you. It's never been in you. Except that His Holy Spirit dwells there. But again, His power, His supernatural capability. The prayer offered in faith is an explicit statement of trust, listen, trust in the will and purposes of God. He will save you, He will raise you up. What does that mean? He's going to save me from the illness and raise me up out of my bed? Perhaps. Does it mean He's going to save me eternally and raise me up in resurrection? Yes. Which one? I don't know. That depends on Him. That is up to Him. I just trust Him to do what He's going to do. And I ask Him to give me faith for what He wants to accomplish. And by the way, in these last days, that's the point. In our prayer, in our praise, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by Faith, not by sight. Paul says, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. 
So, restore my body or save my spirit. Get me up out of bed or rapture me up and out of this world. Whatever you want to do, Lord, whichever is the will of God in and through Jesus Christ is fine by me and my brothers and sisters, that is no cop-out. You know what it is? It's doing what we ought to do. It's trusting Him. It's accepting His will for our lives and believing that He does know what He's doing. Trusting in the perfect will of God. Let's get our thumbs off our foreheads and let's lift up holy hands in prayer and praise in these last days. Is anyone among you suffering? He must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Singers, sufferers, the sick. And next week we're going to talk about the sinners and the saints. But if any of these apply to you, why not come and pray? Get your thumb off your forehead and come pray. If you just want to walk in a real relationship with Jesus Christ, come and pray. If you're seeking an increase of faith, come and pray. If you know someone who's lost or hurting or suffering, if you're sick or know someone who is, come and pray. And let's let the Lord do His work. Amen? Let's stand up together. Lord Jesus, we come in Your name. We come recognizing the virtuous, supernatural power of Your Spirit. We come acknowledging Yahweh Rapha, our God who heals. And we recognize that Your view and understanding of healing is so much bigger than ours. And we do not wish to limit You, Father, in our own lives. Lord, we pray with mustard seed faith that You will heal. We ask, Lord, for You to restore. We pray, Lord, that You will raise up. And we seek Your will in these last days. We say, Father, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. And Lord, this morning, thank You for being here. Thank You for Your Word to us. Increase our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, come and pray. Let's worship Him, let's praise, and let's pray if you have any needs. Go to any of the four tables and we'll pray with you.